It's getting hard for me to breathe. I'm believing for your power, for a miracle in me. You are my prayer. Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Good to see you. Hi. Hi, everyone. Man, we're quiet. Shakur, how are you today, buddy? Standing up, we're going to worship God for what he has done for each of us. Smile! Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. My story isn't over. My story's just begun Failure won't define me Cause that's what my father does Failure won't define me Cause that's what my father
door Cause it ain't welcome anymore Ooh, you're in the Father's Count the times I've called your name some broken night. She showed up and patched me up like you do every time. I get amnesia. I forget that you keep coming around. Yeah, ain't no way you'll ever let me down. Good Oh, I know, but 
that hope ain't built on sinking sand. I've seen enough to know you can lay bricks, you can dig a foundation, you can build up ten thousand feet tall. But if it don't stand on the word of the Lord, this house gonna fall. You can put a cross right up on the steeple. You can stay. Got a joke for you. What do you mean, uh oh? I've heard the joke. I know. So you got this priest and this preacher and this rabbi, and they're arguing over who's going to be the best preacher, right? And finally, they decide to have a contest. They're going to go out, and all of them are going to preach to a bear and see which one of them could do the best. They meet a week later, and the priest comes in, and he's on crutches, beat up pretty good. He says, well, I found me a bear, and read from the catechism. 
didn't like it much, started slapping me around, knocked me down. I grabbed some holy water, sprinkled them, and Holy Mary, Mother of God, he became gentle as a lamb, and the bishop is coming next week to give him his first communion and confirmation. Preacher looks up and says, he's in a wheelchair. Both of his legs are in casts, and he's beat up real bad. He said, well, I found me a bear, and began to read from the Word of God, started preaching some hellfire. Bear didn't like it much. Started pummeling me around, and we wrestled around and wrestled around, and Finally, we rolled into a creek where I just dunked him. And I, he came up gentle as a lamb, and we spent the rest of the day praising Jesus. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, they turned to the rabbi, and he's laying in a hospital bed in a full body cast. IVs everywhere. and They leaned down because he could barely whisper, and he says, looking back on it, circumcision may not have been the best way to start. <laughs> pretty good joke, isn't it? That really is. That's a pretty good joke. All right. The reason I did that is it's been a couple of weeks since I've ticked anybody off, and I figured I'd do a good job of it this morning. So I thought I'd tell you a joke first. Kind of thin in the crowd before Ben preaches next week. We're in this series we're calling Being the Bad Guys, because we used to be the good guys, right? Christians were pretty much respected. Our values were pretty much respected. We were kind of the good guys, culture is shifting, and more often than not, now we're not the answer, we're the problem. What we believe is mocked, what we value is rejected. Some of those out there think that trying to do life with God, for God, God's way, at least the way we see it, that can hold you back. Now, there is a pretty easy way for us bad guys to be good guys again. All we have to do is compromise. Just go along, hunker down, keep your head down, don't stand out. Problem is, if you're trying to be one of their good guys, you're probably going to have a problem with him. Bottom line, what God thinks of you and me is way more important than what anyone else thinks. So here goes. Here's a story of a people of God who tried the strategy of compromise, hunkering down, keeping their heads down, not standing out, like we do sometimes. Guy who wrote the book, Being the Bad Guys, I'm going to be leaning on some of what he says this morning. He has this paragraph. He puts it like this. He says, we, are no longer, we no longer hold the cultural reins. Our views are not respected. Once we were thought of as fairly harmless, if we were thought of at all. But now we're seen as part of the problem in society, a group, group that is intent on holding things back. Once we were considered important in the government scheme. Now we're viewed by the government as an impediment to its vision of a flourishing future. Once we were allowed to go on with our specific worship practices, now these same practices are viewed with hostility and suspicion by our neighbors. We're more than happy to inform on us. So identifying as the people of God is on the back burner now. Cultural heat has been turned up. Better for us to keep our heads down and wait for the angry cultural storm to pass. You know what he's talking about? Do you know who he's talking about? Believe it or not, he's not talking about us in America. 
He's talking about some God followers about 2,500 years ago who were living in a world that was in many ways like ours. Here's what was going on. See, guys, hundreds of years before Jesus, God was working with a nation called Israel. And these Israelites were ornery. They kept dissing God. So God eventually let this superpower called Babylon crush them. And all the Israelites with money or power, they were dragged off as exiles, as captives, and resettled in Babylon. We call it the Babylonian captivity, the exile. About 60 or 70 years later, this superpower called Persia came along and whipped Babylon. They liked fighting back then as much as we do. Well, the Persians let the Israelites who were in exile go home. What do you think happened when they got home? You ever been to a, back to a place where you lived 20 or 30 or 40 years ago? Things change, don't they? People living in your house, maybe. People working on what was your land. People doing what was your job. And these guys made it really, really hard for these Israelites to rebuild their cities and rebuild their temple and rebuild their nation, kind of. These Jews wanted to build a wall around Jerusalem so they could make it strong again. The enemies didn't want Israel to be strong again. Jews wanted to rebuild their temple so they could honor their God. The people who were living in their old homes, their old enemies, didn't want these Jews to disrupt the new status quo. So life for Israel was hard. So they hunkered down. It was dangerous to rebuild their nation. It was dangerous to rebuild their temple. So instead, they just tried to figure out a way to fit in. Just take care of your own. If rebuilding the nation, rebuilding the temple is going to cause trouble, hunker down. Take care of your own. Compromise. Fit in. Don't do anything that might make you a target. Kind of the way a lot of Jesus followers are doing it today. And along came this annoying prophet of God named Haggai. Really weird name. You can read his story in the second shortest book in the Old Testament, tiny little thing, just two chapters. This Haggai's kind of ticked. See, some of these old prophets were pretty good at getting in your face when they got mad. And here's what he says. He says, God is frustrated with you cowards. He says, you try to justify yourself by saying stupid things like, well, maybe it's not time yet to rebuild God's house. We'll do that later when it's a little safer. You're justifying it as a strategic retreat, right? I mean, you're like, I believe in God and all that, but I'm not going to put myself at risk. I'm not going to put my family at risk by looking like a fanatic. Maybe when it's safe, I'll be back. You ever heard nonsense like that or maybe even said nonsense like that? And instead of rebuilding God's house, They changed their focus and went to work on their own houses, which was wrong for these God followers. Haggai goes on. He says, do you actually think that you should be focused on renovating your own houses while God's house is a ruin? Do you? Do you actually think that living comfortably and living safely in this world takes priority over doing life with God, for God, God's way, even when it puts you at risk or those you love at risk. You think so? And then he says, he says, have you ever wondered why your life is so hard in this world? 
I mean, you plant a lot, you harvest little, you eat and you're still hungry, you drink and you're still thirsty, put on clothes and you're still cold, you bring home a paycheck, it never goes far enough. Have you ever wondered why God isn't taking care of you, you dorks? That's my paraphrase. Have you ever wondered, wondered why God isn't blessing you, you twits, he says. Do you actually think you can keep on marginalizing God and then complain when he doesn't prosper you? Can you see the stupidity, the hypocrisy? And then Haggai says, he says, this is what God tells us. Give careful thought to what you're doing. Now go up into the mountains, bring down some timber, and build my house so that I can take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Renovate my house first, says God. You guys are renovating the wrong houses. You're supposed to be people of God. Well, God's people put God's house first. You buy that? You think that still applies to people like us? Well, so what? What do we care what this prophet of God saying about the problems of these people 2,500 years ago? I mean, that's Old Testament, right? I mean, your Bible has an Old Testament and a New Testament. It's got an old covenant with God that was replaced by a new covenant with God. Old one was revolving around Moses and his law. This was brought about by Jesus. We're not under the old covenant anymore. You can have a BLT if you want. You can have as many tats as you want. We gather here and worship God on Sunday instead of Sabbath like they did in the Old Testament. So what do we care about this spat between God and his people 2,500 years ago. On the other hand, it's still part of the Bible. God still wants us to read it because we're supposed to learn from these God followers. We can learn from when they got it wrong. We can learn when they do it right. The Apostle Paul put it like this. He said, everything written in the Scriptures, the Old Covenant, was written to teach us, us Jesus followers. God preserved those stories for a reason. He says, all Scripture, even Haggai, is inspired by God. It is useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we do wrong, teaches us how to do right. So what are we supposed to learn from these self-centered, cowardly God followers 2,500 years ago? What are we supposed to learn from this in-your-face prophet named Haggai? Because the Jewish temple's gone, right? been gone for 2,000 years, and we have no desire to rebuild it. We don't need it anymore. But maybe there are some lessons that we're supposed to learn. See, sometimes we throw all of our energies into renovating the wrong houses. Sometimes, either because we're just self-centered or because we're cowards, we renovate the wrong houses. Instead of centering on and doing life with God, for God, God's way, we hunker down and try to fit in. We get consumed with our own safety, our own comfort, and we lose, center of, uh, we lose sight of the God-centered life. And maybe the reason we don't always experience the blessings that God promises, maybe it's because we just keep marginalizing Him because it's kind of stupid to diss God and then get mad at Him when He doesn't bless us, right? Now, did you know that there are no real atheists? Really none. I mean, everybody has some kind of God. 
Everybody has some God that they live for, some God they worship. A whole lot of people who say that they are Jesus followers, that Jesus is their God, aren't. The guy who wrote the book, Being the Bad Guys, tells about this other dude who delivered a commencement address to some students at Kenyon College in Ohio back in 2005. It's not a Christian college. But here's what the guy said. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping something. Everyone worships. The only choice is, what do you worship? Then he says, when you worship anything other than God, when you worship anything other than God, it'll eat you alive. If you worship money, things, if that's where you find meaning in life, you're never going to have enough. It's true. If you worship the body, if you worship beauty, sex, you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you're going to die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Bottom line, guys. Our culture is trying to drag us Jesus followers into idolatry. They are. They're worshiping the wrong gods, and they want us to as well. They're worshiping these puny gods. They don't put God first. They don't want us to either. But listen, guys, doing life their way will not lead to the utopia that they promise. You're not going to find peace by putting yourself first or anything else other than the real God first. Only path to peace is putting the real God first in everything. Now, do you buy that? So let's get to where the rubber hits the road. Where's the so what for us? This prophet Haggai tells these guys to quit focusing on renovating their own paneled houses to start focus on renovating God's house first. Now, there's no temple anymore. So how do we renovate God's house first? Because that is still part of doing life with God. And I think there are two different ways that we elevate our houses over God's house. For a Jesus follower, they're both stupid. So we need to get this right. You ready? Number one, it starts at home. It starts at home, not here at Cap City. It starts in your homes where you live every single day. Now, Julie and I, Julie's my wife, we've been building quite a few different houses together for 48 years. Right now, we're building about six different houses. One of them is the physical house that we live in, 1282 Shadrick Ferry. We share that house with Julie's dad. He's 96, our daughter, Alethea, son-in-law, Tommy. We share that physical house with Morgan and Stephen, our grandkids. For you old guys, I guess it's kind of like the Waltons, right? Weird, but it works. The physical house we're building is about shelter and food and clothing and security and stuff like that. But we're also building a home because you can live in a house without it really being a home, right? Home is about companionship and warmth and love and acceptance. It's a place where you belong. It's a place where people see you as family. And we're also building a financial house. Julie is already retired, and one of these days, some of you guys are hoping that I retire. We're trying to prepare ourselves for that financially. It takes money to retire. So we're trying to build our financial house. 
And through the years, we've also built a schoolhouse. I mean, our job as parents is to get our kids ready to do life productively in this world, right? That's, that's our job. That's our job first, not the school's job, not the church's job, not the government's job, that it's our job as parents to civilize our little barbarians. And we've also tried building, this is a bad word, I couldn't come up with a better one for it. We've tried building a fun house. I know some of you guys are going to take that into the gutter and it's not entirely unfair, but we've tried to build a house where we can enjoy life together, where we can laugh and play together. That's all good. We all should be building these different kinds of houses. And every single one of these houses can corrupt us if we put any one of them first. Any one of them. None of these houses is the most important house that Jesus' follower builds. See, the most important house that we're going to build wherever we live, at home, is God's house, a God-centered house, because we are Jesus followers, guys. And Jesus followers put doing life with God, for God, God's way, first in every context. You buy that? And some guys here at Cap City are more concerned with keeping Cap City focused on being God's house than you are on making sure your own house is focused on God. That's messed up. Listen, guys, the number one priority of any Jesus follower, any Jesus follower, husband, wife, parent, grandparent, more important than school, more important than academics, more important than sports, more important than career, more important than what your neighbors or friends think about you, more important than what your kids think of you. The number one priority of a Jesus follower is to build a God-honoring house first, even if nobody else gets it. Because they're going to push back kids are going to push back. So Jesus said one time, do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? No. I've come to divide people against each other. From now on, because of me, even families are going to be split apart, he says. Listen, guys. If being liked by your family is more important to you than putting Jesus first, you don't get it. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if wanting to please your kids is more important to you than wanting to please your God, you don't get it. A whole lot of parents, some of you guys, are more anxious for peace with your kids than you are with peace with God. And it's not who we are. It's not what we do. I'll tell you what happens. It happens all the time. This is a sign that things are broken in your spiritual home. Kids make a fuss when it comes to church, so you let them win. And you make some ridiculous excuses, like church is going to have to be something they have to choose for themselves. How can I force it on them? Really? You force your kid to go to the doctor, to the dentist, you force them to take a shower, brush their teeth, use deodorant, which can be a real battle with middle school boys. You force them to do some chores, I hope. You force them to eat their peas, which doesn't matter a hill of beans. But you don't want to do whatever you can as their parent to get them to connect with God, which is the only thing we can do as a parent that matters forever. Or if there's something that they want to do that conflicts with their weekly worship of God, I'm not talking about once or twice. I'm talking about over and over and over again. So many Jesus followers put something lesser in front of the most important thing that you can do as a human, which is to worship our God together. 
by the way, parents, grandparents, we teach with our examples more than we teach with our words. You can't lead where you're not going. So if you want your kids to have a relationship with God that means something, you'd better have a relationship with God that means something. Because it is not the job of the church to connect your kids to God. It's your job. Parents, grandparents, your job. And you lead with who you are and what you do, not by what you say. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above everything else, everything else, and live righteously. Renovate God's house first, and he's going to give you everything you need. Guys, seeking the kingdom of God above all does not start here at Cap City. It starts at home. Which means, listen, being a Jesus follower will mean putting yourself at risk culturally. Or being a Jesus, a serious Jesus follower can make you one of the bad guys sometimes. It means that being a Jesus follower might mean putting your family at risk culturally. Or being a serious Jesus follower can make them one of the bad guys sometimes. So be it. We renovate first what we love first. Because if we don't, it just keeps decaying. Now, guys, the stuff I'm talking about is very, very countercultural. Because out there, it's pretty much look out for number one, look out for you and yours first. It's not about sacrificing yourself for God or anything else. In fact, sometimes out there, it's about sacrificing anything that gets in your way. That is not our way. We're Jesus followers. It's not about me, it's not about you. It's about living for something way bigger than any of us. Their gods are too little. And our lives will never be grand as long as our gods are puny. That's application number one. When you read this old prophet Haggai and he's talking to people who are renovating every house except God's house, for us, that starts at home. But I think it kind of applies to church too. Because for a Jesus follower, home and church are seriously connected. Even though Cap City is not for us what the temple was for those ancient Israelites, it still is kind of the new temple of God. We're even called the new temple of God in the, in the new covenant, in the new testament. Let me show you. Apostle Paul put it like this. He says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you guys? God is going to destroy anyone who destroys this temple. God's temple is holy, and you guys are that temple. Now, I know that sometimes in English, you just means you, singular, just you. But sometimes in English, you means y'all, right? All y'all. You is plural. The yous in this verse, every one of them is an all y'all. Don't you realize, Cap City, that all of you together, you guys are the temple of God, and God makes his, God's spirit makes his home here. That's huge. Don't be about renovating your paneled houses if God's temple needs attention, and he's not talking about this building. He's talking about you guys. 2 Corinthians 6.16, same thing. Apostle Paul says, we Jesus followers here at Cap City together, we are together the temple of the living God. And God said, I'm going to live in all y'all, and I'm going to walk among all y'all. 
and I'm going to be your God, and you guys together are going to be my people. It's huge. Apostle Peter says the same thing. He says, you guys, all of you guys together, you're like living stones God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you guys are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus, you guys offer spiritual sacrifices that please God, which is kind of what we're doing here today, which is what he wants us to do every day. See, here it is, guys, central to every single God-honoring biological family is the church, the spiritual family of God. Central to every God-honoring family is its commitment to the church of God, physically, financially, emotionally. Where out there, everyone else is focused on building their own paneled houses, building their own little palaces. We're building something way bigger together, guys. We're committed to wrapping our lives around the worship of God together, which is our first purpose. We're committed to growing a genuine koinonia with the people of God. And if you don't know what that means, maybe you need to go online and listen to last week's sermon. And we're committed to bringing as many of them as we can into this family of God. We're on a mission from God, guys. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world as long as we're pointing people to Jesus with truth and grace. This is so countercultural. You see, guys, this here is the ultimate counterculture. We are the bad guys, which is really cool because girls always love the bad guys, right? You see, they say, they say, you do you. We say it's not about you. We say you is too little. We live for way bigger than that. We live for way bigger than any person any cause, anywhere. They say it's not about making sacrifices. In fact, they would tell you you don't even have to sacrifice for kin if your kin is getting in your way. They would say go ahead and cancel anyone who's bringing you down. You need to surround yourself with people who confirm your values, who confirm you. We say it's for those around us who annoy us that Jesus died. We say we're going to create a community that focuses on Jesus first, that cuts across social boundaries and cultural boundaries. We're going to create this weird, weird community that's the exact opposite of the toxic tribalism of our culture. This weirdly accepting, weirdly loving, God-honoring koinonia grounded in God's truth and living out God's grace. And guys, we say that when you do life with God, for God, God's way, together, you actually get to experience a little bit of what they're pursuing but will never achieve. And I know it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us in this world. If you focus on renovating God's house first, it may cost you a promotion. It may cost you a job. So be it. If you focus on renovating God's house first, it may cost you some relationships that are really important to you. So be it. If you focus on renovating God's house first, it may cost you your inclination to church hop every time your family annoys you. I mean, some of us try to upgrade churches the way we upgrade cars, right? We're looking for something that fits our style better every four or five years. At the cost of those faithful, selfless, deeper, honest relationships that take years to build. 
listen guys, how do we expect our children to stay faithful if we parents and grandparents jump ship every time it gets tough? Never underestimate, guys, never underestimate how powerful a real God-honoring house is. Whether you're talking about the God-honoring house you're building with your biological family or the God-honoring house you're building with your spiritual family. Don't underestimate how compellingly attractive genuine koinonia is in this self-absorbed and petty and fractured and lonely world. We don't do well as the salt of the earth and the light of the world if we compromise, hunker down, try to fit in. We don't do well if we try to build a house that is culturally acceptable, non-confrontational, Jesus light. But doing life with God, for God, God's way together, hmm, that's what you need desperately. And that's what our world needs desperately, right? So according to Jesus, a foolish man builds his house upon the sand. And the sand is basically anything except God. When the rains come and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it falls hard. But the wise man builds his house upon what? You guys know? Rock, which means God. And when the rains come, which they do, when the flood waters rise, which they do, when the winds beat against the house, and they always will, that house stands. For generation after generation after generation, and our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids deserve that, don't they? Let's stand and worship our God together.
Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you will renew our purpose, renew who we are, so that when we approach you, Father, we come with a heart that is changed, 
we look at what Jesus Christ has done and we say we want to be more like him we want to be a light in this world Father forgive us for pursuing our own vision our own dreams pursuing what we want God change us now so that when we go back to our families we prioritize who you are and what you should be instead of putting anything else in, in front of you. Change every one of us here so that every family that we go back to will be closer to who you are. And we'll look more like Jesus Christ and we can change the world. Teach us how to be a light. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Here at Cap City, what we want to do is we want to celebrate Jesus Christ and what he has done for each of us every time we gather together. So if you come today with a heart that's prepared to, to commune with him, with a heart that's ready to remember his sacrifice. In a few moments, you get a chance to go around this room and be able to take part in our communion service. And you'll see a little piece of bread and some juice. This is a way for us to memorialize what Jesus Christ has done, so you'll be able to take the bread and the juice and remember his body and blood that were sacrificed for each of us. If you have no idea what that's all about, we'd love to talk to you more about it in just a little bit, but make sure that your heart is ready for that, to be able to remember what Jesus has done and to follow his example. And this place is your home and you want to give an offering. We have a black boxes that are in each of the stations as well. We have something that we also call a generous bucket. It's a little bit beyond your offering. If you come ready to go and give an offering and you want something extra that you want to give to people in need in this community, you can go ahead and do that in the generous buckets that are in each of the stations as well. Let's keep all of this in mind as we go to the tables. Remember what he has done for each of us.
This morning, we've got a couple of quick things we want to make you aware of before we let you slide on out of here, okay? First of all, I just want you to know, if this is your first time with Capital City, uh, we are just a group of very broken, very imperfect people that are leaning heavily on the grace of Jesus Christ and trying to drag each other to heaven, okay? That's who we are. So if that appeals to you in any way, we would love to have you join that fight. If you're already perfect, 
we have a place for you too. You can hang out and work on the rest of us, okay? But that's, that's who we are, and I just want you to know that, and uh, I want you to know that you're welcome here. We would love to have you uh, back next week. And along those lines, if you are not connected with a life group here at Capital City, this is something we've been harping on for a long time, and we're not going to stop. Okay, because life groups, we believe that to be a part of the body of Christ is to be connected with the other individuals on a face-to-face, name-to-name, kneecap-to-kneecap basis. Okay, it, what we do is not, doesn't all happen here within an hour or two a week. All right, we come here, we worship together, we get energized. That's cool. That's awesome. I love what we do today, but this is not the whole story. All right, the real battle is we're on a mission out there, and you can't accomplish that mission without some battle buddies. Okay, so we want to get you connected if you're not already. If you're not, you should have a card on your chair. You can fill that out. Drop it in one of these offering boxes on your way out. You can give it to somebody at the Welcome Center. Uh, you can also talk to Vern Huber. He's our minister in charge of all that. But we want to get you connected. Maybe you're a part of a life group right now that you're you know, just not really that crazy about. That's okay. We can do this anonymously. Just let us know you're looking for another opportunity, and we'll get you connected, okay? But that is a vital part of what we do here at Capital City, and we want to make sure you get connected in that way, all right? Uh, next, coming up this Saturday, I'm very excited to announce our next men's ministry event is our uh, men's breakfast. going to be happening from 7.30 to 9 down in the Family Life Center. Uh, guys, if you have not gotten connected with our men's ministry lately, I mean, wow. In the last couple of years, we have had some, some guys step up, and I'm not talking about people around staff here, but just guys in the church who have stepped up, and it is amazing what is happening with that ministry. Um, and if you're not connected with it, I really hope you'll give it a shot. This Saturday is a great opportunity to do that. Like I said, starting at 7.30 down in the Family Life Center. And they don't mail this in, okay? They are there at 5.30 cooking bacon and sausage and eggs and gravy. And it's like it's a great meal. You're going to get fed physically, and you're also going to get fed spiritually. Our own Brian, Brian Pelletier is going to be there. He's going to be sharing. He's got a, a fantastic, just really amazing uh, story that he's going to share with us. So I, would, I don't want you guys to miss out on that. Uh, available to all men down in the Family Life Center this Saturday. Immediately following that, we're going to be having our cruise in with coffee, okay? That's going to happen from 9 to 11, so if you've got a uh, cool car that you want to bring up here and show off, we're going to do that out in the parking lot. There's going to be coffee, amazing donuts, open to anybody once again, and it doesn't, I've been told, this is what they told me, anybody's car, like it doesn't matter. You don't have to have a fancy car. I'm not a car guy. I don't know anything about cars. I don't have a fancy car. I'm never going to have a fancy car, but I'm going to bring my car. I think I'm going to bring the minivan, up here, just park it out here, right? Show it off, kind of pop the hood, grab a cup of coffee. Yeah, you wouldn't believe this thing. I mean, sliding doors, uh, vintage goldfish pile in the back. I mean, feel free to come and look through my minivan and maybe some other cool cars that are going to be there, okay? Anybody's welcome. We want to have you guys here for that. Finally, if you've been here for any length of time this year, you've heard us talk about our nudges, our nudge campaign, right? We're on a mission in 2022 as a church to nudge 12,000 people closer to Jesus, okay? We're doing 1,000 nudges a month. Now, we've made it, uh, it's been challenging at times, right? We've leaned on your creativity uh, to come up with some of these nudges. September, though, this month is as easy as it gets, okay? We have made it as easy. We put the cookies on the bottom shelf, uh, if I may. All you have to do this month, if you haven't already, grab a box of these cookies. I'm not going to say the name, but they're black and white cookies that everybody likes. They're out there on a table in the lobby. Grab those on your way out and find a neighbor or a coworker that you don't know that well. Maybe you don't know their name. Maybe you've forgotten their name. Use this as an icebreaker. Just give them the box of cookies and say, hey, there's a group of people over at Capital City Christian Church that uh, care about you. They don't even know you, but they care about you. And they'd love to get you to know you on a, on a deeper basis, okay? We can't make it easy, any easier than this. As Ben said last week, though, these cookies are not for personal consumption. 
They are for proselytization, okay? So grab a box on the way out, give them to a neighbor, give them to a friend, let them know that there's people here at Capital City who care about them and nudge them a little bit closer to Jesus, all right? As far as today's message, you know, it really hits pretty close to home with me when Doc talks about home renovations. I'm involved in that business. Personally, the last couple of years, my wife and I have spent an inordinate amount of time and resources renovating our own home, actually. Uh, a couple of years ago, as a matter of fact, we were searching for a house of our own. We'd been renters for a long time. We wanted to find a house. And like a lot of people today, we had been searching and searching and searching, couldn't find what we wanted. And finally, after years, we found a house that was in the location that we wanted. Uh, but the sacrifice we knew we were going to have to make is it just was not in a very good condition. Like we knew we, if we wanted this house, uh, we could buy it. We were going to spend quite a bit of, of time and money making it the way we wanted to do it, right? So we bought it. We planned to uh, do some pretty heavy set renovations. We were going to change the garage bay into living space and uh, redo the kitchen and knock down some walls, all sort of th that sort of thing. Uh, but we were, you know, sort of naive. We thought we're going to get this done in two, three months, right? We'll go at it hardcore, get it done. We'll be finished. We'll enjoy it the rest of the time, right? Well, I'm not going to tell you how many years ago that was, but those projects are almost done, right? Uh, and that's kind of the, just the way it goes with home renovations is what I figured out, right? There is no end to working on your house because once you get this project done, then another one pops up. And that's to say nothing of just general maintenance, right? I mean, to own a home is to be in the home maintenance business. And, uh, you know, that's that's kind of what he was talking about today. Like those sorts of things, the, the message is not, the point is not that focusing on making your house right is wrong or that focusing on building a good life is wrong. But when we put too much, when we allow the focus, our focus to be directed toward temporal, temporary things, it takes the focus off of the eternal, right? Building, renovating God's house. And it's only through renovating and maintaining God's house that he can renovate and maintain our hearts, right? And that is what he is really after. That's what we should really be after. So that's what I want you to carry with you as you go out this week. We, as I said, we are so happy to see you this week. We will be thrilled to see you next week. But for now, I must tell you to go away. <laughs>